and welcome to the second episode of the She-Wolf Investor Podcast, the bi-weekly podcast by Female Folio that brings you female-fronted, trustworthy and refreshing discussions on all things to do with your personal finances, savings and investing. I'm your host, Claire Barker, co-founder of Female Folio, and in each episode, I'll be joined by one of my fellow colleagues from the Female Folio team alongside a special guest. Together, the three of us will delve into a financial topic that we believe matters to you. Here at Female Folio, we care about empowering women on their financial journey, and we understand the importance of handling your money in the right way. So we're very excited to share another stimulating conversation with you on how to become a She-Wolf investor. We encourage you to think about how our discussions relate to you. And please remember, this is not financial advice. Think of it more as an education on what you could be doing. Now, you'll have to forgive me. I had some technical issues with the recording, so it may sound a bit strange. But rest assured, next episode, we'll be back to normal. Okay, let's get on with today's show. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Phoebe Chamier back to the podcast. Phoebe is a fellow female folio founder and a senior investment manager with over 10 years experience in financial services. If you listened to our first episode, you'll know she is a pool of financial wisdom and a bit of a she-wolf investor herself. Phoebe, thanks for joining us again. Hi again, Claire. And I'm delighted to welcome our special guest joining us today, the fabulous Dr. Lisa Armstrong, OBE. You may recognise Lisa's name if you're a follower of fashion. Lisa is the Telegraph's head of fashion, regularly penning opinion features that examine the highs, lows and cultural talking points of fashion, beauty and style. She is a three-time winner of the British Press Awards for Fashion Journalist of the Year winner of the British Fashion Awards Best Fashion Journalist and was awarded an OBE this year for services to fashion. Having interviewed fashion icons from Karl Lagerfeld and Donatella Versace to Victoria Beckham and Yasmin Lebon, we are privileged to welcome Lisa to the She-Wolf Investor podcast and I'm really looking forward to learning whether handbags really are a good investment. Hello Lisa and a warm welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello Claire. Hello Phoebe. Now, at Female Folio, we said at the start, we want to encourage women to think about investing in a way that is unique to them, to bring out their own she-wolf investor style. And that brings us nicely to our first focus today on whether a handbag is a good investment. So here's a stat for you. The price of a Chanel 2.55 handbag has increased by 50% since 2019. Lisa, I learned this from your Telegraph article enticingly called Forget Buying a House in the Cotswolds, 10 Bags That Are Better Investments Than Houses. I'm very intrigued to hear what you have to say on this, Lisa, and I know many of our listeners will be too. So, Lisa, is a handbag a good investment? And if so, why? Wow. It really depends on the bag and it depends also what you mean by investment. (laughs) Because obviously, if you're looking for an increase on your money, then there are a tiny handful of names that will get you that. Next level down are the bags where you can get a decent return. You might lose a bit, but you can set that off against the number of times you've worn them, the pleasure they've given you. And then there is the rogue ones that could go up or down and should carry some sort of small print with them. And also, of course, they're an investment in as far as 
it sounds cheesy to say it, but a good handbag can make your whole outfit look more polished, more expensive if you're going for a job interview. Arguably, it is an investment in your own brand, if you can bear that kind of language. <laughs> Some of your language is very investor-like, value going up and down. So that's quite a good caveat. Phoebe, what do you think? Could a handbag be a good investment in perhaps a diversified investment portfolio? Absolutely. I love the idea of a handbag being part of your global investments. I mean, when we talk about investing traditionally, this is not really something that springs to mind. But if you had your financial assets and you have the financial ability to invest elsewhere, this could be part of your alternative bucket of investments. I mean, when we talk about alternatives in a financial sense, there's plenty of options. People invest in commodities, they invest in gold, they invest in art, even there's art funds. I've not come across a fashion fund. There may be out there, but someone please tell me about it because I'd be very interested to know. But, you know, those alternative assets can behave quite differently to financial assets, your traditional financial assets. So looking at how they've performed perhaps this year, which has been quite sensationally bad for traditional assets, they can be that kind of uncorrelated return. So when you've seen a Chanel handbag go up, you know, what was it, 50% since 2019? Do you know, it's actually even more. When I wrote that piece earlier this year, I think the standard Chanel 2.55 bag or the flat bag had gone up 50% in the last three years. But I was doing a bit more of a dive in the last week, knowing that I was going to be talking to you both. And for instance, there's a Chanel flat bag that is monochrome. It comes from their Monaco collection, which was just released a few weeks ago. And that bag is £8,000. It's a flap bag, but they charge so much more because it's limited edition. Now note those words, limited edition, mm -hmm. because that makes it sound very special, very resellable, very collectible. And it is, but the limited edition is totally at the whim of the brand. I mean, they just decide that they're not going to make many of them, but it's the same quality. It's the same leathers. It's just something that there won't be many of, and therefore they charge 8,000, not four and a half, five thousand. 5,000. And it will probably carry its value through and increase because rarity and condition are two prime factors in what you're going to get for your bag. And the third is, does it have an interesting provenance? Was it carried by Grace Kelly or, you know, Beyonce? Yeah, that's interesting because I thought you were going to come up with the classics that we on the outside would look at as classic investments. What's your opinion on those, Lisa? Oh, for sure. I mean, Hermes is still the number one. And that plays into, you know, what I was talking about, the three factors. Hermes has impeccable craftsmanship. But number two, rarity. You cannot just walk into an Hermes store, however much cash you've got in your suitcase, and buy a Birkin. They deliberately restrict availability. So, for example, this year, Hermes released well, it's a big wallet, but it's a tiny bag called the To-Go. And it's a sort of iteration of the Kelly. If you know about bags and you know the Kelly, you would recognize this as part of the Kelly family, right? Now, that wallet is something like three and a half thousand if you could find it in an Hermes store, but you can't really. So your only recourse, if you want one in the next month or two, 
is to buy vintage. But the vintage ones, I've been stalking them, they're more expensive often than the RRP. So that is something you could buy and flip immediately probably and make a little bit of money on. It's that supply and demand situation, isn't it? It's amazing that the retailers, the designers of these handbags just totally understand the psychology of the people buying their handbags and and how well respected they are as well. Yes. I think some brands are better than others. You know, there's probably five or six brands that really have that mystique, that charisma. They're the ones that set the pulse racing in the auction houses. But there's many, many luxury brands with also brands, quite frankly. You can go onto all those resale sites that have proliferated in the last few years and you can pick up those bags for a lot, lot less, probably a lot less than their owners paid for them. And I was just thinking, Phoebe, when you were talking about the diversification of investments and how there wasn't a fund for fashion yet, I wonder if that might be the result of a degree of misogyny or if that's too strong a word, just dismissing female interests. Because there's a secondary watch market. There's a secondary wine market. Now, wine is far more perishable than a handbag. Yeah, that's an intriguing viewpoint, Lisa. Phoebe, what are your thoughts on that? Well, do you know what? I would love to be proved wrong. And if anyone knows about a fashion fund, I think that'd be great. If not, shall we start one? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you could have all the big names in there. Lisa's our style consultant. <laughs> I'm in. They're viable investments. They're artifacts. They're part of society and popular culture and fashion. And if we respect wine and even whiskey, whiskey's gone up 400% in the last 10 years. And it's probably an asset class that we don't really think about at large, probably not in the female population. But that's a very, very popular alternative asset class. Currently, I think it's doing the best of the bunch. Which again, if we're gender profiling, ordinarily, you would say the whiskey is targeted more to the male population than it would be female. Mm. Actually, Lisa, if I could come back to you. You've been in the business for a while. Uh, You know, you've won lots of awards and many congratulations on your OBE. So, Lisa, when you look back over your personal career path and journey, have handbags always been outstanding as an investment item or is it something that's happened more recently? Handbags weren't that much of a consideration in the early 90s. And then Prada came along with the nylon handbag, or I think the original iteration of that was a rucksack. And suddenly all the fashion editors had to have this nylon rucksack. I think that was the first time where the branding was everything. Actually, if I remember back in about 92 or 93, they were selling for £300, which seemed a ridiculous price for a nylon rucksack in today's money. Those bags probably sell for, you know, £1,800. And obviously that price was not commensurate with the fabric. It was desire. It was a hot thing to have. And then as the decade wore on, I suppose the next big it bag was the Fendi baguette. That was such an investment for the brand that on the back of that bag, Fendi then floated on the stock exchange. I'd have to check, but I think it was something like 700 million euros, which seemed an awful lot of money at the time. And that's when the industry sat up and thought, wow, bags are serious, serious business for everybody concerned, for the brand, for the consumer. 
with the proliferation of the internet and people's ability to delve into the history of bags, it's become a market where people have an awful lot of knowledge. And they're not just buying because something's got a logo stuck on it. They really know about the craft and the archive history of that bag. Lisa, I think that's what's really important, though, is that if you are thinking about investing in a handbag, you've got to know your stuff. You've got to have some sort of insight into the industry. Otherwise, you could get it so wrong. You might spend a lot of money on something thinking it's an investment that's going to go up in value. But if you've chosen wrong, if you have got the wrong brand, if it's not part of that limited edition club, you could make a bad investment choice. Yeah, let me come back to Lisa on that because Phoebe, you're a senior investment manager. So if I wanted to invest in a traditional portfolio, I know I could come to you for advice. But Lisa, if I wanted to invest in a bag, who would I go to for advice? There is a really interesting resale business called Cellier, S-E-L-L-I-E-R, who I just came across this year. Fascinating. A woman bought a little shop about two years ago in Chelsea Knightsbridge, was selling high-end vintage. Then came the pandemic. She closed it down. Her daughter came back from Monaco and said, hello, mom, have you heard of Instagram? And that business went stratospheric on Instagram. When I talked to them about six months ago, it was doing a million a month. That's amazing. It's selling top, top end. And they know all about what's coming up, what's going down, what's safe. Different resale sites have different customers. I mean, I was told by arch label agencies that their customers really like tan and black and cream bags. Christie's told me that their customers like red bags or bags with diamond pavé on. I mean, they'd sold a diamond pavé Birkin crocodile bag in Hong Kong, I think a year or two ago for £379,000. That's quite a serious investment. Yeah, amazing. It's knowing your market as well. If I could come in on that, Lisa, it's interesting that you mention crocodile because it brings me to what some people might think is the sticking point of investing in the fashion industry, and that is sustainability. And Lisa, I'd really love to hear your views on this. Lisa, you've hosted panels on sustainability. Phoebe, you must be looking at funds that are around um, ESG. Can the two be brought together in an ethical way? Lisa, do you want to give us your thoughts on that? I think sustainability and resale or vintage actually could go glove in hand rather brilliantly because if you do it in a certain way, you are being sustainable. It's kind of lovely what you say, Lisa, because it's like a very high-end second-hand shop because you're not creating something new. You're buying something pre-loved or pre-owned. Second-hand market, very sustainable. I made a little pact with myself last year that if I do ever buy another bag. I have to buy vintage. I just don't feel in all good conscience I could buy a new bag when there is so many great vintage bags out there. And I'm not even talking a 379,000 crocodile <laughs> Birkin. I'm talking like a really decent, well-made designer bag, which I would get vintage. Why would you buy a new one? That's just me. It's interesting because from a modern day investment manager, ESG consideration is built into everything we do. We can't ignore it from an ethical point of view, but as well as a regulatory one. And when we talk about investing in fashion, 
I think there's a distinct difference between this high-end, high-value fashion and fast fashion. You know, the amount of clothes that people buy one day, wear the next, or maybe they don't even wear it. Maybe it's thrown away with the tags. You know, the lower value fashion items that people buy on a whim and then very quickly discard is a very different approach to high value fashion because it's not something that you throw in the bin. You hold on to it. You wear it again and again. You might pass these items on to your daughter and they might be in a museum somewhere or resold at auction. I think that's why the brands also absolutely love this growth in reselling is because it absolutely augments that idea that these are heritage investments that you're making. Mm -hmm. So whether you buy it, you know, from the Chanel flagship or whether you buy it from a reseller, it's kind of win-win for the brand. Let's go back and talk a bit more about the gender split. Although we are broadly stereotyping here, there was a study earlier this year by Mainstay Investments that revealed that high net worth women allocate more of their assets to non-traditional investing than men, with women investing 27% of their assets to non-traditional investing, men at 20%. So Phoebe, I was going to bring that to you first of all. Have you seen that yourself in your day-to-day conversations? And then Lisa, I thought it'd be really interesting for you to tell us why you think women might be drawn more to those non-traditional investments. But Phoebe, to you first, please. I think it's really interesting when it comes to alternative investing because it is an entire environment. It's so vast and broad, everything from fashion to art to oil to gold. And um, I think women, when they invest, they tend to want to get right under the bonnet and really understand everything that they're investing into. And alternative assets can be quite intuitive sometimes. So if we're talking about investing in fashion, for example, It's a tangible asset. It's something they understand. They respect it. They know the process. And if you use something every day and you understand the investment, you can't really go wrong because you believe in it and you believe in its growth and you believe in its viability in the investment space. Yeah. So that could be the reason why women do invest in alternative assets more than men, because there is that intuitive element to it. Mm. And Lisa, what are your thoughts on why women tend to go for these non-traditional types of investing, specifically in the world that you're familiar with, the world of handbags and high fashion? I think it's very interesting what Phoebe says about them being intuitive and their areas that the women who invest in them already know about and take pleasure from it. I think also perhaps a lot of traditional investment areas have been very male orientated. I mean, one of the things that really struck me this year on The Telegraph is among the older readers, we get men commenting very often on articles about women's fashion. Aren't women silly to spend this (laughs) on a handbag or jacket or whatever. But you write an article about men's watches and they wang on for hours <laughs> about this Rolex they've got or that Jaeger Lacoutre or whatever. Yeah. And um, you just think, ah, oh, now I understand why women don't really invest in watches on the whole. And they prefer to be in a female environment. Yeah, And I think it's not really a surprise that throughout the 90s, as women got more and more independent financial clout, bags and fashion really took off. 
That's a really interesting point there as well. You're making so many thought-provoking statements, Lisa. Thank you kindly, Claire. (laughs) (laughs) In our last podcast, we were talking about the future of finances female and how much wealth is going to pass. And the baby boomer generation is going to be one of the wealthiest generations that history have ever seen. This is where I think that safe word, Phoebe, you said intuitive, and Lisa, you're implying there's a safe space there because it's not the world of watches and masculinity. And maybe that's more palatable to somebody who's come into money, either through inheritance or through hard work, and now wants to invest in something that wouldn't ordinarily be just wrapped up in a financial fund. And that does bring me very beautifully to the end of the podcast and a fantastic question for you both. So somebody has heard the podcast. They've decided you are the girls to be investing in. So to make you she-wolf investors yourself, they're going to give you a six-figure sum. And you can invest that six-figure sum in anything you like. Lisa, what would you invest yours in? I'd definitely buy a really beautiful Kelly because I prefer those to the Birkins, and then I might wear it occasionally. And then I would have some fun with up-and-coming brands. So I think, for instance, the Loewe puzzle bag, which has been around since 2014. There's not that many of them at resale. There's also a small British brand called Metier London, absolutely beautifully made, very under the radar. I think that's one that's really worth looking out for. I mean, they really don't come up very often either, which shows that um, there's a certain rarity and people are hanging on to them as well. I love your support for like the small British brand. And you mentioned a female brand earlier as well. And that's great recommendations. Now, Phoebe, are you going to be quite as flamboyant as Lisa with your six-figure sum she-wolf investment? I would absolutely love to invest in a designer handbag and probably off the advice of Lisa, it would have to be the Hermes Birkin because it sounds like a sure sure bet. But I think in reality, I'm not sure that I would be able to look after my investment terribly well. I think I'd want to wear it. I think I'd want to live with it and probably damage it in the process. So I don't know if art would be a better alternative investment for me because at least I could hang it on the wall and it would probably fare all right. Just one last point is that along with the rise of resale, we've seen the rise of these companies like Restory.com that will restore shoes and bags where you cannot see the join. So you could wear your bag with loving care and they will make it good as new. No better way to finish the podcast, Phoebe, knowing that you can go out, you can get that bag and you can use it (laughs) once or twice and then restore it. Phoebe and Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. I've learned so much about an area, honestly, I had no idea about before. It's been really good to explore this particular episode of Can a Handbag Be a Good Investment? And I'd like to thank you both for your time. Lisa, your expertise um, just shines through and we are all certainly the better for your time with us. And Phoebe, thanks once again for co-presenting on this podcast today and bringing your investment expertise as well. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And once again, thank you so much for joining. Absolute pleasure. And I've learned a lot too from Phoebe. I've learned a lot from you, Lisa. (laughs) Brilliant. We're all winners. (laughs) Next stop, Fashion Fund. (laughs) I'm in. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to The She-Wolf Investor with your hosts, Claire Barker and Phoebe Chamier, and today's special guest, Lisa Armstrong. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the tips and tricks you can use as a female investor. If you're keen to hear more, join us on our next episode when we'll be discussing Can Investors Hold the Purse Strings to Climate Action? with Financial Times investing columnist Moira O'Neill. You can also head over to femalefolio.com to sign up to our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources. That's all for this episode. See you next time. And please remember, this information has been provided for educational purposes only and is not investment advice. The value of investments may go down as well as up and neither is guaranteed. You could get back less than you invest.